0: okay
1: this is gonna everyone can hear me still right um we're gonna cut this out or bob will cut this out
0: no we're gonna leave this in
1: Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. My name is Connor, and today we have with us Adam, Bob, and Stephen. We're going to go quickly around in that order and do introductions, and then have a couple announcements and hop into the topic for today's episode. I'm Adam Boczewski. I'm the APL programmer here.
0: I'm Bob Theriault, and I am a J enthusiast.
2: I'm Stephen Taylor. I'm also an APL programmer and a Q programmer these days, too.
1: And as mentioned before, my name's Connor. I am a day-to-day C++ programmer, but an array language enthusiast and Combinator enthusiast at large. And with that, I think we have two announcements from Adam. So I'll throw it to him. And then after that, Bob will introduce today's topic.
3: Right. So uh, we kind of joked about it before, uh, but after the introduction of the new APL logo, then it became time to create some merch for the ArrayCast. We'll put links in the show note and head over there and grab it quickly. Designs may change in the future. So these might actually be collector's items for you. And on top of that, uh, then there's a really cool initiative by some uh, some uh, kids, uh, high school kids, I think they are. Um, and they are creating something they call the ESOLang Conference 2022. Um, it's not really ESOLangs in in the sense of languages that are intentionally difficult or strange to, to uh, program in, but languages that are not the so much mainstream um, and they want to get more attention and focus to those. Um, and one of the languages that they are trying to bring attention to is, uh, is APL and the programming in general. We'll put links to their social media and website as well. Check it out, especially if you are a student and interested in this kind of thing.
0: And the topic for today is actually this podcast. It's sort of a reflexive thing. And uh, we're doing this because it's a year, well, just over a year that we've actually been doing this podcast. And people may not realize uh, sort of how it started and uh, all the work that goes into it and the different people that are involved in it. So um, that's sort of what we're going to be talking about today. So if you came here today expecting all sorts of talk about your latest uh, bit of wisdom about transpose or leading axis theory or uh, a fascinating uh, interview with uh, someone who is a multi-multi-millionaire who leveraged the array languages into a uh, a career and a, a fortune and how to do that yourselves, then... This probably isn't, well, unless this podcast turns into a big moneymaker, but I don't see that happening because it took us a year to do merch. Anyway, um, uh, how this this whole thing started, um, and I I think Connor shares this with me, that both of us listen to an awful lot of podcasts. And over and over again, I, I was actually the actual origin of it. I was listening to the ADSP podcast and Connor actually said, I don't think there are any podcasts on the array languages. And when he said that, I thought, you know what? I've been thinking that for a long time. And if he listens to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of podcasts and we can't find any of these, lang- these podcasts, then maybe there aren't any. And as far as I know, there are no other podcasts about the array languages. So that was what instigated it. And that, that set the germ in my head. And I think I talked to a couple of people in J about it. And I was actually thinking of doing more of a, a, a J-array cast, you know, more just with the J language. Um, and, and actually, the original idea I had was to do more of a weekly thing where what we did is we actually recapped what was going on in the forums. Because there's always stuff going on in the J forums. and And it isn't usually put together in a way that, you know, sort of has a coherency to it. But there's a, there are coherent thoughts going through all these different streams. Um, that was... Um met with, I would say, probably underwhelming uh, interest, because there's a lot of work involved in that. I don't think anybody was looking to take on the extra work. And there's a certain amount of expertise that's required to do a podcast as well. You have to know how to record, you have to know how to edit, you have to know how to do a lot of things. Um, And I think a lot of people get scared off by that, having said that to people. You shouldn't be scared off uh, by the expertise in podcasts. It's getting easier and easier. And uh, there are a few elemental things you'll need to learn. But uh, this particular podcast we do on Zoom and record it that way. And it's as simple as that. We set up individual recordings, get individual streams, gets fed through to me. I do some editing. Um, The key to it, though, is the people on it. Uh, And that is where I started to talk to people, and I think, and it may be time to throw it over to Stephen just for a bit, because I think it was the centenary of Ken Iverson's birth that we did the celebration for, and uh, I think at that point is when I first started talking to you about the podcast.
2: can't even remember a year ago when we got started. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like we've always been doing this. It's, it's certainly good to sit around and chew, the, and chew the fat over these things. And I've been enjoying learning about um, things going on in the array languages. I had no idea what's happening. And hearing some of the backstories to stuff that I remember partly from decades ago. Oh, that guy was doing this. And, oh, yeah, it was your idea, was it? Who knew? <laughs> but it's it's been hugely enjoyable for me, but, um, more like a social occasion, a recording session.
0: Yeah, and, and then from that point, when I talked to Stephen about it, um, I think, I'm trying to think of how I got, I think I reached out to Rich Park first, Richard Park. Um, and that was because he was doing more of the uh, video at that time. And I think Richard quickly, and this is sort of a common thread within <laughs> working with people, There's there's immediately, oh, you don't really want me, you want, this person. And I I certainly am willing to take any suggestions from people who know a lot more than I do. So Richard at that point suggested Adam, and Adam has been on a lot of them. Richard has been on a lot too. They're both very good at explaining APL. And and so that was kind of how Adam got roped into this. I'm not sure whether he realized what he was going to get uh, hooked into, but uh, but he's been here for a bunch. You, you got anything to say about being involved in this, uh, Adam?
3: I think you're right that it did start just you did start discussions at this centenary of five of or something. Um, we'll link to that obviously. This whole recording of that. Um, I mean, it's been it's been very enjoyable. I really look forward to <laughs> to these meetings. I mean, on uh, as a side effect, we're creating content that people enjoy. Apparently. But I just love spending this hour with the rest of you. <laughs> um I mean it's it's also it's it's also hard work, but it's it's good to explain things and we get I really appreciate also that we get feedback. We do get emails coming in from people and People mention it and uh, people so it was sometimes write in, in the chat room. They see my my first name and they say, oh, are you the one from the Raycast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's been really great. Really appreciate the initiative.
2: Adam, were you surprised by the response to this? Because I was astonished by the response by how many people piled in on the Iverson Centenary.
3: I don't think I had any particular expectation. I mean, a lot of people have touched APL throughout the years even if they have then gone on to do other things and the fact that oh, then they get reminded about this and come back when it's something that's been publicized.
0: I I, thought, I was really impressed with the, the Iverson Centenary. It was it was well put together and congratulations to you, Stephen, because I think you were one of the prime organizers of it. But the people, that, the voices it brought in that you I hadn't heard before and some that I hadn't heard for a long time was really impressive. And it also showed sort of the range of the language. There's so many different ways to approach it. Um, And people, and and there's so many characters with the array languages. I don't know, I don't think it's, it's only array languages that tend to attract people who have either strong characters, strong opinions, or different points of view. But I think those are the ones that stick around. Because I think if you if you're going to work with these languages, you're going to have some resistance, and most people who want to go with the flow won't won't you know put up with the weird looks you get from somebody you know when you show them some code you wrote, <laughs> and they just you know roll their eyes and go well you can't well, hmm? you know, um, and I, I think that's that's some reason you get a lot of people that are very interesting. There's a lot of really interesting people and. In, one of the things I will say is this podcast exposed me to the a p l farm, and uh the number of people in there with the different languages b q n um uh k am um, trying to think there i think there's neil is in there as well there's there's a a whole range of and and generationally younger programmers writing uh interpreters and and um and compilers for the array languages, which is fascinating to see. At one point in our pre-show discussion, we talked about the fact there's only one J uh, icon, and I think it's because nobody really wants to take on writing that kind of stuff. I think the younger programmers tend to be much more interested in seeing how they would create their own array language, and I think that's a great learning opportunity. I think at times it's a bit of a distraction, but I think if you learn something from it, it's worth doing. Anyway, that brings me around to Connor, um, because uh, one of the things, when we started to get the experts from the different areas, and I I always say I'm an enthusiast, because honestly, I am only an enthusiast, I'm not an expert – my Well, you don't want to know my whole background, but, but it's not necessarily in programming. I've never programmed professionally. Um, but I knew that I would need a host, and so I sort of went back to the guy who was uh, on ADSP and had shown such enthusiasm for the array languages. And, and honestly, uh, <laughs> Connor is a combination of someone who brings a, a, a learner's mind to the process, which is really important, but also a level of enthusiasm that I think is is really important. And I, I I will turn it over to the husky voiced, Connor Hoekstra.
1: So I'm actually interested to hear the rest of the Arraycast origin story because from my perspective, I did not hear about any of this. Uh, you know, back channeling. You know, finding co-hosts or uh, panelists. Um, from from my point of view, I was YouTube streaming. I don't know. It was early 2021, maybe February, uh, March. And then I just sort of off the cuff had said at some point, you know, I will start a APL cast or something like that. Um, I just don't have time right now. And Bob happened to be listening. And then Bob emailed me. I tried to find the exact email, but couldn't find the initial email that was you being like, Hey, this is a great idea. Making it seem like that was the Genesis. Um, little did I know that apparently for a a few months beforehand, Something else I had said on a, on a different platform on my other podcast had already uh, sparked this in your mind, um, and so from my point of view, I thought the genesis of this was a YouTube stream. So what happened in between uh, the centennial uh, Iverson um, and sort of discussions there? and then it it just happened to be that you know a few months later was the right time, and then you heard me say this thing you're like, "Oh, perfect now, that's the opportunity to to reach out or
0: um as all good producers i was stalking you (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) i was just waiting for my time to pounce (laughs) and and i think at that at that point the thing that you were doing was you were trying to rewrite the j source in c plus plus is that what the, the thing you were trying to do with
1: i think rewrites generous but yeah just take the j source and um put a modern c++ twist on it so you know reformat it you know convert things into c++ algorithms and i did that for a few streams but the summer got nice and i paused that and have never gotten back to it but you know it is on the long list of things that i hope to at some point revisit
0: yeah anyway I, i thought anybody who's who's willing to take that on is probably willing to to take on, you know, something to do with the array languages. So I did approach you, and I asked you if you were interested in doing it. And um, you told me the same thing that I think you had told the, the high school students from, from Isolang, um, I'd love to do it, I just have no time, yeah. which is, is, is exactly, honestly, um, as a person, person who's worked as a producer in a number of media, that's exactly what you want to hear. Because you want the people that have no time to be doing stuff with you. Because they'll, they'll, they'll do it efficiently. But also, the reason they have no time is they're so involved with all these other things. They're great connectors. So I thought, okay, well, this is... And I said back to you, you don't you, I think you misunderstood what I'm asking for. I'm not asking for you to put a podcast together. <laughs> I just want you to show up and talk. <laughs> To which, to which you communicated via email, and I said, "Really? Uh, Okay, I can do that." (laughs) And 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 the sound you hear is the steel door slamming shut as Connor gets himself involved in in a in a second podcast. As it turns out, if you listen to his other podcasts, it may have been a third podcast. I'm not sure when the genesis of your third podcast actually came in. Whether it that was much later.
1: That one, technically, I have a 50 minute 50 second intro episode but no episodes so it's it's like two and a half podcasts i don't I haven't really started the third one yet um
0: so that was uh, and 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 if people are saying oh what work is there involved in doing a podcast like what the, the way you get on and you talk you know that there's not that's not work, and uh, and and as Adam said, and, and I think Stephen as well said, and I'm sure Connor echoes it. This this part of it, this part of it does not feel like work. This is actually very enjoyable. It's like talking to friends, and that's that's how we want to make it sound, but that's also how it feels. So it's 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 quite genuine, um, but. In order to do this, there's an awful lot of work that needs to go into it. And before I go into that, uh, over to you, Stephen. I think you got something you want to mention.
2: I've got a question for Connor, actually. Over the, over the years, being an array programming enthusiast has sometimes felt like belonging to a secret society. And it's felt, felt like this in the way that secret societies are a bunch of people who know something that most people don't know. Uh, and knowing it, we reckon, gives us some kind of special powers w- operating in the world. Um, when people who've heard of us maybe a little bit um, g- encounter it, the reaction is often, w- wait, you've been doing that since when? You know, and with you know the array languages, that goes back to the 1960s. If you ask the same question of, say, the Freemasons, they'll say, oh, the 17th century. <laughs> so... I'm wondering what Connor's experience was like. How did you how did you encounter the array languages in the first place, and what's it been like entering into this, well, secret society?
1: Um, well, that's that's a long story. The short version of it is that from the years 2014 to 2020 21, I had heard APL mentioned four or five different times all like every single time I can distinctly remember um and I actually have two of my three sisters at some point in their careers worked with either APL or an APL dialect or a software program written in one of those and uh then in 2018 I was listening to Functional Geekery one of another podcast that um Uh, It's probably my favorite podcast of all the podcasts I listen to. And they had two or three episodes um, of people talking about APL. And they were talking about it in sort of a functional context, at which point I was falling in love with Haskell and um, decided to sort of poke around and found tryAPL.org and then very quickly saw um, the power of the language and like fell in love immediately. Um, And I didn't have time to really dig into it, but about half a year later, at the um so I guess actually it was twenty eighteen-2019 because when I really started digging into it it was December twenty nineteen. Um and June twenty nineteen was when I first played around with triapel.org. Um so that's sort of how I fell into it and I just immediately fell in love with it. Um in terms of the Secret Society I am I think it was I think it was uh was it Joel Kaplan um that we had on or It might have been a different guest that we, I had made the remark, you know, some people see the language and they just sort of walk by and uh, their response was just like, yeah, I just don't understand that. How can they walk by?
0: I Um, think that was Stephen after. Or Stephen after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: There are two episodes were right next to each other. So I sometimes conflate and, and both of those, if you are joining now or joined a couple episodes ago and haven't listened to those two episodes, they are, they are phenomenal. Um, And both of those episodes I came away with I mean Adam mentioned earlier sort of looking forward to this like this is one of the highlights of I wouldn't say every week cuz we don't code th- uh, record this every week but um I genuinely really look forward to these recordings and sometimes have like my mind's been buzzing from the week the two weeks before and have just been thinking about things people have said and like want to bring them up um an example of that was the the rank episode in between sort of rank discussion 1 and 2 I just I've been thinking, like, on every run, you know, how come you couldn't do it this way? And then uh, to hear Adam say, you know, you could. I actually suggested that to Marshall, but for these various reasons, it's not a great idea. Um, like, so it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of, I think, for the listener, they're listening to people talk about this. But, like, for me, I'm learning. And in between episodes, I hear this stuff. My brain lights up like a tr- Christmas tree. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say I feel like I'm in a secret society, but I am confused on why um this language hasn't thrived as much as others i think there's a similar reason you hear some people try haskell and they bounce off of it because it's just for whatever reason it's hard for them to to learn or to pick up quickly i think apl is somewhat similar um yeah but it it definitely it definitely feels like like i've i I've, when i was on um co-recursive i explained it i don't think this actually made it into the episode but there's a youtube video of us pair programming and it the remark happens there where i said yeah it's i feel like i've stumbled on this island of treasure and um it's just like there's gold lying all over the beaches it's not even like you have to go look for the treasure it's just like there it's just you show up on this island there's gold everywhere and uh, you can just go pick it up and then you can continue into the island where sure there's it's a little less obvious where the gold is but um like i think you mentioned once bob that learning j it's just this continuous um you know hole that you go deeper and deeper into and you just can continue to learn things about the language um and yeah it's it's incredibly incredibly enlightening uh to to learn this paradigm i constantly as much as i love the language i constantly constantly ask myself like if if i'm potentially crazy or Um, maybe my brain works in a certain way that just makes the array language suitable for the way my brain works and um, I I constantly ask myself if if I'm like if I've fallen into some rabbit hole and I'm not I'm no longer seeing the paradigm for what it is Um, but anyways that's a whole other philosophical discussion for a different episode of like is it that everyone else is missing the beauty or is it that uh a small group of people see the beauty because we have certain special rose tinted eyeglasses on or something like I, I really don't think it's the latter <laughs> but um you can't rule it out as a possibility um anyway so i'll will stop uh stop answering a short question with a long answer well,
0: well in the venn diagram of humanity you did study actuarial sciences so i think that puts you kind of a, a minority <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. And the actuaries, uh, back in the day, I mean, there was a joke that APL used to stand for, um, the actuarial programming language, because of all the domains, um, actuarial science is one of the best. Um, and that was actually the very first, I mentioned the five times I heard about APL. The very first time I heard about it, I believe, or so I said 2014, but that's, a, that was a mistake. It was 20, 2010. It was in my second year of university in my third semester. And I took my first actuarial programming course. And the professor, Dr. Gary Parker, at one point in the course, he said, we used to code in this language called APL. And I absolutely loved it. It was amazing. You could get so much done. You know, the C programmers would be coding something, you know, two pages of code, and I would write a single liner. Problem is, is like a lot of people had trouble reading the code. Um, That was the first thing I'd ever heard about APL is that it's, it's extremely powerful. You could do so much with it compared to other languages but um it fell out of favor because of you know uh, readability issues. Um that sure it was readability issues, maybe typeability issues could have been. I mean I think I think he said that was the problem is that you with some of these programs that were immensely dense uh, oh, I see that it was harder for people, I think those that spoke APL was a lot easier than but if you're comparing it to a language like cobol or something, you know, you don't need to necessarily be a COBOL expert to make out what some of the program is doing at least there's a lot it's designed for business people and there's a lot of English in that language which it's it's borrowing from what people already know whereas APL doesn't really borrow it borrows a tiny bit you know the the mathematics binary operations and some of the unary operations but other than that everything else is is um Different, for lack of a better word.
0: And I guess to fill in a little background in terms of both Connor and I went to Simon Fraser University and 25 years before Connor took his uh, first classes in, in actuarial sciences... Um, I was actually a computing science student at SFU. And at that time, there's a guy named Ted Edwards who, um, and this is going to sound really bizarre because I was not interested. I, I'd learned a little bit of APL at that time, but I, I, it didn't stick with me. I really wasn't that interested in it. But I dated his daughter. <laughs> and for a couple of years, we were, you know, she's. Kim is, I'm sure, still around. I think she's working in health sciences somewhere in Minnesota. Last time I I heard anything. But in any case, um, that was my exposure. But I honestly, he, I, I would go to his place and he would talk about APL. And he would talk about, um, you know, um, I, I remember I was taking a course in uh, um, linear programming. And he looked at it and said, why do they do all that work? Why don't they just do this? And like with two characters, he said, you could do it this way. And it's like, I kind of looked at it and went, yeah, no, you're right. Because I a lot of this stuff, I mean, to me is just a lot of work. Having learned more about it, I realized there's a reason for that work. And there are things that you can do, the efficiencies and stuff. but. The fact is that I was exposed to APL at that time. I even wrote a couple of programs in APL, but it never kicked in after that. It wasn't until I think in the 2000s and I had a different career and I was working in a different area and my brain just needed a different stimulation. And Jay happened to be free, f- at least if you were a student, and I always rationalized I was learning it, so that made me a student. And uh, and so I got a chance to work with Jay and a lot of the stuff that I'd learned with APL carried over to Jay, um, as ugly as everybody says the language is, which I've never really found it that way, but that's uh, that's a personal preference. Um, But getting back to Connor's story, I think part of that at SFU um, was that Ted Edwards had taught classes, computing classes in APL, using APL as the language. And I believe Perlis did this as well, that he would teach a logic course or something like that. And he would use APL as the language because it would get the students so much further advanced in what they could do with their programming um unfortunately i think a lot of the students were overwhelmed and his courses although they were excellent that were were lightly subscribed because there was a lot of people who were just terrified they would wait until it was taught in a different language so that they could get in there without having to learn apl so i think that sort of carried on through sfu that there was this feeling that this is a language that's powerful but barely understood because I don't think it ever really got its claws right into the faculty to be able to be used that way. And that may have been the ripples that were still happening in 2010. And I, I, you know, wasn't involved with the university from about 1985 to, you know, well, since then, my son graduated this week from SFU. So that's, that's the last time that we, we, you know, we've had any direct involvement with the Terrio clan, but, um, so people may correct me and say no there was a lot of other stuff that was happening with APL at the time but as i remember it was Ted was the champion in the, in the 80s and was doing a lot of work through the 70s and 80s mostly in design of chips is how it was being used there then because there was a lot of uh push to make British Columbia mecca of uh you know hardware design and VLSI and all that sort of stuff um but i think at one point we were talking about the work that goes into doing this podcast and i think it's important to note especially the work that goes into the transcripts and the show notes and i'll let adam talk a little bit about transcripts and show notes we've both done them and actually the person who often does most often does the transcripts is is uh, rodrigo but uh adam tell me what goes into doing a transcript
3: oh it's kind of interesting and how much work it actually is because we all show up for this hour hour and a half whatever you spend on on the recording and then we all go to do our things and whoever takes on the transcript job well the first you have to wait obviously for for bob to to finish editing and bob doesn't sleep because we record this in like uh what is this it's early afternoon by you
0: no, 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 no. Um, this is early morning for me. I sleep.
3: <laughs> no, well, for you personally, in the time zone where you live, it's most people consider it early afternoon, right? Uh, and then often by the next morning or so we are in the middle of the night, we've got a finished edit or almost finished edited uh, first draft of, of the episode. And Connor will react with some fire emoji. Um and and then assuming that we all, are that there are no, uh, no protests or anything, sometimes like we want to change the cold open or, uh, or there's some spacing that's off, but usually it's pretty good on the first try, then somebody, and that's usually Rodrigo or, uh, or me, some Bob has done it, you said, and the uh, an original, the first transcript was done by somebody else, right? We need to give credit where credit is due from...
0: Yes, it was. Who uh, was it? Um...
3: Uh, Ro- Rory, Rory Kemp. Kemp. Okay, yeah, Rory yeah, yeah. Kemp. He's, he said he would he would do it and like an offer to do it, and then we we took him up on the and said yeah, we said that really we should be doing this, um, and then so for the next episode it was Richard and Rodrigo and Rory Kemp together that, that worked on the transcript, and then and then we we started like actually uh, planning for the for the job, and Rodrigo said he would do it, um, mostly. Sometimes he can't do it. And it's a lot of work. It's a so what we do is we we have this uh, Microsoft Office uh, 365 subscription, and it's able to to transcribe recordings, uh, and it does an okay job of the words. It has a very hard time where begin, sentences begin and end, and I so we have to, like, we have this. Uh, allotment of minutes a month or week or something that we're allowed to use for transcription without paying further for it and i think we're just hammering our accounts and microsoft's ai is learning a lot about array programming um it's just becoming so biased to what what we do because i think it has gotten significantly better uh it now knows what what APL is and the arrays and things like that. It used to totally mangle these abbreviations and things, and it now handles rank operators and things like that really nicely. Um, so it does a first a first draft of that. It takes a, little, a few minutes to run through it, and then becomes the it starts the editing job. So we're not even typing the words themselves, but it's just where it gets wrong, where sentences begin and end, or it gets think phrase is completely wrong or it gets mixed up and who said what it does m- mostly like i would say 95 percent, it it recognizes correctly who's saying what and then we go through and, and, and it has to edit this and put these loose sentences that are chopped in the wrong places together and fix grammar issues and and i think people don't realize how big the difference is between spoken language and written language it's a lot of ooh and A and and strange pauses and people are saying things multiple times and the computer has no clue, it just writes what we said. And that needs to be cleaned up, otherwise it's impossible to read, it just doesn't work.
0: As one of the prime offenders, you need to complete your thought if you really want the, the computer to be able to express what you're trying to say um i often get partway through a thought and i just sort of leave it hanging because i'm letting my mind go off and and that doesn't work well for transcripts and it makes me- right
3: so the ai clearly tries to apply some like grammar rules to figure out what people are saying and then when you change in the middle of a sentence or change tens and things like that in the middle then it goes way off and then again all these technical concepts that we talk about and all these names of functions and and adverbs and whatever not we are with strange things we were talking about and abbreviations for things um and it can it can easily take a whole day of of work to go through such a transcript and like I'll work hours and hours and hours on it, and then I look at the text editor scroll bar, I'm going like what that's impossible how How did the scroll bar not move? <laughs> yeah, I've done so much already, and it's like I can't even see that I've done anything. Um, and then it has to be done. Right? We record usually on Tuesdays, and then we release it by uh, Friday night episode. It just has to be done on time. Hopefully, uh, there's a lot of work. And then there's there's the show notes. Uh, the show notes are. Usually, it's it's easy to say, yeah, we'll we'll put that in the show notes. And then we have to go and actually track down. Wait, what, what was that strange website that we had in mind? What was that article? And somebody will say like the title of a paper or some some talk, and they will say it wrong. Or like with the wrong words uh and we have to find wait did they or, or they might conflate two different two separate things into a single thing in their mind it's just one thing and which one did they actually mean how much are we going to include uh we have these code examples and we start by presenting ourselves yeah i do apl and you do j and he does q and and then there's bqn and then we want to have these code examples in all the different languages and keep them parallel, so they are exactly the same. And the languages have these slight differences, um, and all that has to be coordinated and, and collected together. But it's also fun. It's, it's also, especially collecting the show notes. I think is a lot of fun.
0: And I, I uh, think the show notes are something that really does add to the podcast in a huge way. And I think. I think the way that, that it, quite often it's it's Adam that does the start on the show notes and then sometimes I start them and he finishes them up. We sort of bounce them off each other. But I, I think the, the really neat thing is that we don't try and reduce the show notes. They tend to expand. So if there's a number of different ways it could have been taken, we'll often include extra stuff in there. Because a lot of this is if, if people aren't familiar with what we're talking about, you're really just trying to... Uh, get your hooks into the different areas of knowledge, and the more chances you get to find out about this stuff, the more sense it starts to make. But I think the show notes are really important, and um, you you may find them fun. I, I find them. I, I find it, well, like a lot of things in this podcast, I struggle a lot to to try and keep up. That seems to be my <laughs> my modus operandi.
3: <laughs> Dear listener. If you're listening to this through some kind of podcast serving service and not directly through our website, please go over. I mean, that's perfectly fine, right? But please also visit our website, aracast.com and have a look at our show notes because we put a lot of work into this for you and you can really gain more out of every episode by looking at those show notes.
0: And, and the transcripts. Well, I mean, I think the, the transcripts Gestures are
3: great for finding things. Again, you can search those, right? You can't really search an audio track.
1: The show notes are great as well because, well, for a plethora of reasons, but um, the over overarching theme is that a lot of the show notes link to things that are like very either completely undiscoverable um, or hard to discover. Uh, the three examples that come to mind is just like anything J-related. <laughs> you are got to work on that wiki man <laughs> I know <laughs> uh, because J well J is just hard to search for in general because it's a one character language um, but also too uh, the wiki search that is on J software sometimes can be hard because there's so much content there um, a lot of stuff you'll search for it and then like the result will be a New York J user group because they have notes that talk about that exact thing um, the second is uh, just things that like I forget how to navigate to all the time. Like I think I've mentioned on this podcast, like for the longest time I could never remember that Stephen Taylor's blog, and I, I could get this wrong, but I'm almost positive I know it now is www.5jt. Uh, dot com. Is that right? We'll put that in yeah. the show notes. And so for for the longest time, I always thought that the five yeah the five was somewhere else. And uh, and uh, Stephen has some uh, great blogs. Um, one of the late, latest ones is uh, some solutions to the advent of code. And I kept on wanting to go back to that and be like – and unfortunately, Stephen Taylor also has a very common name. So if you just Google Stephen Taylor, probably our Stephen Taylor is not the first one that pops up. Um, and uh, and then the third is um, there are certain show notes that get linked to – like I think one of them was a translation from uh, J to APL that a user – that attended the New York uh, J users group meeting um, had just made on his own. And it's like hosted on his own personal site. So like it's on the internet, but if you search for, you know, J to dialogue APL translation table, like it's you're never going to get any hits. Um, and so anytime I have to go and find that table, like I have it bookmarked now finally because it's a super useful table. Um, but uh, I would always have to go back to like the the New York J users group Try and remember which one that was, and then find the link there. Um And so, uh, anyways, the show notes are great because a lot of times there are links to things that are either harder to discover just by searching via your you know favorite search engine, um, or are basically impossible to stumble across.
3: Another thing I, I want to add to that is uh, based on the on the transcript links, we say a lot during this hour or whatever we usually spend. But often we can link to something where there's a whole lot more in-depth and detailed information about whatever concept we might just mention by name or some person we mentioned by name. And I think that's a great benefit. We'll, we'll make sure to, uh, to link to this episode's show notes. What were you saying, Stephen?
2: I was saying, see, see, we are a secret society. <laughs> but it's not because uh, we
3: want to be, right? There, I, yeah, we, I think we do have some customers at Dialog that don't want their competition to know that they use APL because they think of it as a, like an advantage a, that gives a, a tool that gives them such an advantage. They don't want the competitors to find out that that's what, what makes them so great or something. Uh, so we can't mention them by name.
1: There is some, there is some irony of like, we are a fight club where the first rule of fight club is talk about fight club. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, still for some reason, uh, you know, uh, people don't want to be a part of Fight Club. For the most no, part. but I think in general, the people who, I mean, there, of course there are people who get
3: roped into some position at some company that has some legacy code in APL that's horrible to maintain and they don't want to do APL and they don't understand what's going on. And they, of course, will have a negative uh, feeling about APL. But other than that, the, the people who choose to do APL, it's not because it's like an okay thing. They tend to really love what they're doing and they don't want it to be... A closed society in general they're very excited about telling other people things you can do with apl and then how good great it is and, and well i'm saying apl but all these array based array type languages um but how do we become not closed and that this podcast can do that to a certain degree
2: oh here's a perfect question for that if someone says to you hey adam this podcast thing you're doing, what's that about? What episode should I listen
3: to? What would you say? Uh, I think the first one, right? Wasn't the first one, uh, Why We Love Array Languages or something?
0: Yeah, you could, you could start at the beginning. You know, that's kind of, you know,
3: I. I Not because I... it's the first one, because that's the central question, right? If, if, why should I at all be interested in array languages?
1: I definitely shouldn't throw them at dyadic transpose. No. <laughs> yeah we might not agree on what episode to send people to but we can all agree that neither of <laughs> the rank or dyadic transpose episodes are the ones to send people to we had an
3: internal meeting at dialogue right before the recording of this episode and uh morten kronberg who is our cto and uh he's been a guest here right he's very long ap expert APLer. uh and 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 he listened to the to the rank uh, the leading Access episode, and he thought that was heavy stuff. So, um, if an expert APL thinks that's heavy stuff, I guess yeah, don't want to start there.
2: Bob Connor, what, where would you send people?
0: Okay, okay, there's for, for a couple of different things. I, I think Adam, I'm right, sorry, right with the with the first one. I think that's not a bad place to start because um, it's our, our origin and and it it kind of encompasses a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, in terms of, I actually sent my son to the the uh, Brooke Allen episode because Brooke had such a wild take on getting through all these different. Hurdles that the industry throws up in front of you, and since my son's just graduating, I said, "You know, you should listen to this, just so you know, there's always another way to do something." <laughs> and um, he, I think he's, he's about halfway through it right now. He told me, he, "You know, hops on the elliptical or whatever and listens to it." But uh, um, that was one that I actually have recommended, but for a specific reason. And honestly, um, I'm I'm going to say the Stephen After and the Joel Kaplan were. Well, for one thing, their are voices. Um, to me, Stephen After sounds like Mandy Potemkin, and Joel Kaplan sounds a bit like Martin Scorsese. And <laughs> I just love those accents. <laughs> so they could practically say anything they want, and I'm going, this is great. You know, the enthusiasm, the intensity and everything is there. But, I mean, aside from that, obviously, they've got great stories, and, and they're really, really... Uh, deep thinkers, which also, um, when you do something conversationally, it's amazing how you can start out something that may be a little bit surface, but if a person's a deep thinker, quite quickly you find out they do think about things very deeply, and that becomes fascinating. When I'm when I'm when I'm editing, I'm often looking for those kind of um, those kind of parts of the the uh, episode to be able to um, show that angle of people because you often don't you, you you would never know it if you just talked to them for five minutes but talking to them for you know an hour or an hour and a half which is often the length of time it takes us to record these things um, you can get into some really interesting things that most people may or may not know about and and the conversational aspect of it I think is is what I really enjoy listening to um, you get you you're absorbing a lot of information uh, finding out about a lot of possibilities. At the same time, it's just enjoyable to listen to people talk. And I'll throw over to Connor and see what uh, what he likes for his episodes.
1: Yeah. I mean, so there's two different questions here. It's like what, what episode to send people to, um, and then like my favorites. Because I feel like our best episodes are the ones we have guests on, um, and there's a lot of those that I love. Um, so, pro- and probably that would be one of those episodes is the ones, I mean, I think the first one is a good candidate. Um, but really I think the, the best podcast for me are the ones that are kind of like storytelling with conversation and questions. Um, I, I was trying to figure it out. I thought it was a talk, but actually while Bob was talking, I Googled it. So there's a person in the closure community. His name's Russ Olson, and he's been on Cognicast, another podcast that focuses on closure and I believe it was episode 138 where he talks about his talk to the moon and how storytelling is very important in terms of engaging your audience, um, which is a topic that I haven't heard anyone else in the tech community talk about. And he does an amazing do- – like to the moon is uh, an amazing talk. And on this podcast, he talks about um, you know what, what makes it, in his opinion, such a great talk. And it's this storytelling aspect to it. Um And I think a couple, like the, we've mentioned now a couple times, Stephen Apter and Joel Kaplan, but there's been other guests that are further in the past that I don't think we think about as regularly anymore. Um, The Eric Iverson episode, I thought I was on the edge of my seat the whole time listening to that. Um, and like, you'll hear me say something in a certain episode where like the guest will be concerned that they're talking, Oh, like I'm talking too much. You know, I should, I should, I should stop. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. Like keep, keep going. Like, this is a, like, this is popcorn time for me. Like, sure. It's supposed to be, you know, back and forth, but for the first, you know, half or whatever, or 20 minutes of the podcast, if they want to tell their sort of origin story where we're learning about, you know, how did they stumble across the language? You know, when it's Eric Iverson, he has a, a very one of a kind story, um, and access to obviously, uh, his, his father, Ken Iverson. Um, and so, yeah, I think those episodes are the ones I would send people to, um, basically choose a guest, a guest episode and listen to that. Um, I think, yeah, top of mind are the Stephen Apter and Joel Kaplan. And I think those three, Eric Iverson, Stephen Apter and Joel Kaplan, for me, off the top of my head are some of the best storytelling ones. I think Henry Rich also had a really great sort of, you know, as a teacher and and his whole perspective, but all, all of the guests, I think. Are great episodes to go to but that's not to say that i don't like the non-guest episodes in fact some of those are my favorite but i feel like those lend themselves um less to being great episodes like for instance the last two that we recorded on leading access theory and rank for me like i learned so much from that um but i also think i become less of a uh, good host Because I turn into, I'm acquiring knowledge for myself. I'm going to ask the next question in my head so I can answer my own question Um, instead of thinking about the listener or the distribution of listeners and where they are on their learning curve and making sure that like, oh, we just mentioned a term. We have never defined that before because I get so excited about what I'm learning. And um, I don't think it necessarily leads to a bad experience. There's other podcasts that I know definitely have that format. And if I'm not at their level about 50% of what they're saying I'm understanding but because they're still so excited about what they're talking about it's still like a very enjoyable um listening experience and even if I'm not completely soaking in what they're talking about you know keywords you know are being planted in my head that you know a month from now or two months from now or three months from now I'm going to hear again and remember oh yeah they were talking about this and at some point I'll make the connection um but yes the point is lots of episodes are great uh I'd probably throw people at the ones where I feel like the storytelling uh Really comes out because of the because of the guest.
0: Any guesses about what our most popular episode is, one with the most downloads?
1: I actually think I know the answer, um, but that's only because I have another podcast with access to stats, um, and so I won't answer this. I'll let I'll let other folks. And then we also have to get uh, what Stephen's um, recommendation or of uh, first podcast to send people to in favorite. Um,
0: yeah, Stephen, what would you send somebody to? Which which episode?
2: Well, I agree with all of you. The first episode really sets out our stall, what we're our agenda and what we're about. It makes a lot of sense. But what what you guys have just been saying resonates for me too. The storytelling is really powerful. When you get characters, and I'm just thinking of people who we've had on recently as guests like Joel and Stephen and uh, particularly Brooke, whom you mentioned, I leave a listener with a sense, yeah, as you say, here's somebody who thinks very deeply about what they're doing in life, not just in coding. Um, And if you're someone who's interested in coding, you've got to be interested in like, what's this language these guys use? (laughs) I've got to take a look at it.
3: I didn't mention which episodes were my favorite ones. I just said which ones I would send send, uh, send a new, (laughs) new listener to. I mean, personally, what have I most uh, enjoyed participating in, is probably the tested
1: discussions. Oh yeah, yeah,
3: that's been absolutely awesome.
1: I mean, that's I think because didn't we get feedback from some listener that said, "Stop doing this, <laughs> stop, stop opining on the." <laughs> but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy them. <laughs> it's similar on my other podcasts. Is we did a couple of Wordle episodes because both me and my co-host love Wordle. And people hated it. Well, I don't think everyone hated it, but definitely we got a few strong opinions coming back, being like, "If you don't stop talking about this, I'm I'm quitting." Listen, to me, I'm just like, okay. I mean, we're just talking about what we like, so you know, <laughs> listen. But yes, we got uh, someone saying that tacit was, uh, or I'm not even necessarily sure it was that negative. I, I think they just responded after we switched off of tacit, and they said. Finally, uh, a topic of substance or something like
0: that. Um, yeah, I, I think hot, tacit can be kind of a hot button issue amongst people who program the array languages. So there's that aspect of it. But the most popular, the one, the episode with the most downloads since we've really been tracking.
1: Oh, wait, wait. Or should we, should we let Adam and Adam and Stephen guess what did they think?
0: We'll let them guess. Go ahead. I have no idea. Oh, they don't want to guess. I will
1: guess. It is the first episode.
0: No, really. No, I my, my my records aren't that good for uh, up until I think about the uh, memorial we did for um, for uh, Roger Hui. Um, past that, so prior to that, the the records aren't that good for my uh, my counts. But downloads, the most popular episode has been Aaron Sue.
3: One day, if he did advertisements for, to his people about it or
0: something, he may have. Yeah. Hmm. Vanessa McHale is another one who had, we had a real uptick when we had her on and she may have ad, you know, been promoting it as well. Really good episode. I mean, I'm, I'm no problem <laughs> telling people to go listen to it because it's a good one, but uh, we certainly saw a big bump when we, we did the interview with her. So it's, I
1: wonder if that's uh that's a certain amount of bias. Cause I, I love the conversation with Aaron, but I've actually spoken with Aaron a handful of times or more since, you know, recording that episode uh and so i think it was it was less of like if it had been the first time i was talking to aaron it, it would definitely would have been registered as higher but the ones that imprint from this podcast are the ones a lot of the times like it's it's a first time or second time conversation and usually the first one is more just an introductory um but yeah that's true aaron i mean i've watched i'm not sure all of aaron's talks but i've definitely seen a, a, a large percentage of them cuz um whether you agree with all his opinions on the language and, and style, he's he's always very, very well spoken and um, builds a very strong argument for the way he sees the language should be used and and whatnot.
0: Yeah, he tells the story in a different way, um, in the sense that it's, it's often not the type of story you're going to hear around a campfire, but it's more of a story based on why he's doing something in a particular way. It's almost like listening to a lawyer present a case, um, which is really... Uh, compelling. Um, but again, I, I, I kind of thought the Stephen Apter and the Joe Kaplan and, and the Brooke Allen were more about, if I was going to sit around a campfire, those are the guys that I want sitting around the campfire with me, hearing about their their stories. Um, another thing that came out of this podcast, and it was actually, I think it was because of the popularity of tri p l and the fact that Jay didn't have a way to try out the language, is the J Playground. And the J Playground came out because of the J Wiki. I think I got roped into the J Wiki because of the podcast. Um, They've never said that officially at J, but I kind of get this feeling that they think I'm sort of hooked out into a wider community, and that's why I got pulled into that. And it's a good project. Um, And it is hard to find stuff on the J Wiki, um, one little plug I'll put for it is there's actually two areas to search on the J Wiki. One is on the upper right, and the other is on the sidebar uh, on the on the left. And the sidebar on the left is actually uh, uh, a search that uh, Chris Burke wrote that you can actually search J terms the uh, upper left uh, sidebar doesn't give you that option because it's just a generic wiki search but the one on the sidebar is really useful because you can plug in any combination of J phrase and it'll actually pull those out from all the J wiki which can be really useful Um, other thing we've managed to do with the J wiki um, is we've now ported the J essays that used to be sitting on J software sites so they were really hard to update They're now on the JWiki, so that's become easier to update and easier to make current and also to continue to make accurate. So uh, those are two things that we have accomplished with the JWiki. But, yes, it's a hard place to navigate. We're going to improve on that. And uh, it's. I think with this amount of information, it will always be a challenge to remember where you saw something. And to that I can say use bookmarks because everybody i've talked to who uses the j wiki effectively actually bookmarks things in their browser and that's how they get back to those points and when i started to do that i found it a lot easier to find things that i'd found before so uh, it's kind of a curation that you end up doing but the j playground came out of that directly because of this podcast I think uh, Adam challenged me to say, "Well, you should be doing something like that with Jay." And I agreed with him, because we should have been. Um, and it was from there that Joe Bogner, uh, Will Gahate, John Hoff um, I'm trying to think of who else has been working on it lately. Oh, Chris Burke has been working on it. They developed what had been a dormant way of, you know, using uh, the, the web and they actually have now Jay working on the web. It's not running off a server. It runs off your browser, which has been really powerful, and they just keep expanding it. It's fascinating to use, and we'll put that in the show notes um, because it's always worth looking at, and we'll also put BQNs and APLs because we've used their ideas as well. So to be fair, it hasn't only been Jay doing this on our own. We've definitely cribbed from a lot of other people. Um, Q also,
1: I think, set one set something similar up C- correct steven The um, said some <laughs> something similar up to i don't think it's necessarily the same as bqmpad tripl and uh, j playground but it was uh if i recall on one of the episodes we definitely linked to um some cloud instance that was basically running uh q executables um that you could basically i'm not sure if you had to set up an account for it but you could go i might be Mistaken. Maybe it's something else that was.
2: No, you're right. You're right. Um, there was something we had running at KX for a while. Learn.kx.com uh, with right, which, if I'm remembering right, um, gave you Python, uh, Jupyter notebooks in which you could execute um, execute Q expressions.
1: Yeah, I just went to that right now. Learn.kx.com, and it does look like you need to input some information, but yeah, once you do that, I'm pretty sure you have access to um a cloud instance or yeah, a Jupyter Notebook instance that slightly different than um the J Playground that was just mentioned, but um similar in that you can sort of test stuff out online, which I think is a great a great way if you're just thinking about getting started with these languages. Um you don't have to go and download anything per se. You can just go to some website, type a few things and um
2: Bob's story about the bookmarking reminds me that that was a a key part of Iverson's pedagogical method. I might pronounce that right? Pedagogical. Yeah. Um, in the late seventies, he developed a um, what he called a working introduction to APL. He thought this was how APL should be taught. And in, back in those days, it was mostly being taught to people who had got no prior programming ex- experience. So there was not so much to unlearn and let go of in order to. Get to grip with um, array programming, and one of the first things an instructor had to do for this course was um, get students to start bookmarking pages, sticky notes, or post-it notes, or whatever in the reference. Something which I learned and stayed with me pretty much the rest of my working life. When I'm learning a new language or a new topic, get hold of the reference and start finding my way around it even though I can't understand most of it to start with. So I see something in my tutorial or whatever, go to the reference, look it up, don't understand much of this stuff, but put a sticky note in or whatever, and keep coming back to it as it makes sense. And then as you go, as I go, I wind up with some solid and secure knowledge about the language, uh, rather than what has written the dummies guide thinks I need to know.
1: All right. We are, I think, past the hour mark. <laughs> How do we want to wrap up our annual review, or slightly post annual review? Because what do, do we keep episode numbers? What episode? Is I think it? this is
0: episode thirty. This is episode thirty.
1: So yeah, episode twenty-six. Which I think was was Stephen. After how do we end this? Is there one final question? One final statement? I'll throw it to you, Bob. I'm putting you <laughs> onto the the executive producer. Or Adam put his hand
2: up. Adam. <laughs> okay. What do we want for the next year?
0: Uh, well, that's exactly what you, you nailed it. That's exactly what I was going to do. Exactly. You know, yeah.
3: I would love to hear back from the listeners. So you've been enjoying the content or which kind of content? What should we be looking at? Minus the tacit episodes. Um. <laughs> I would love to hear from anybody who has been enjoying those. I'm just curious. <laughs> if you're out there, my friend, please let us know.
1: Yeah. We'd like feedback specifically on the tacit episodes and specifically only if it's positive um.
0: i think I think we'll take everybody's feedback and and uh, as long as they understand that um, part of Um, the effort that goes into putting the podcast together and all the people that work on it, um, you actually don't have a direct influence on the direction we take, although uh, an influence is probably the better way to think it. You can influence the direction we take, but uh, don't think that you can tell us what to do because I don't think that will work very well. (laughs) Don't be frustrated if we don't take your suggestion. There have been many suggestions that we haven't had a chance to implement yet. Uh, That doesn't mean we won't um, because uh, they're good suggestions suggestions but um you know every two weeks we've had a lump number of guests we've got other guests that we are looking forward to having on and uh, in the next year and i I'm sure there are other topics I know of other topics that we could spend uh spend an hour talking about that are fairly important to the people that program in the array languages so um, that's what I kind of see happening in the year ahead um, I guess more of the same, but I but you don't know what direction it's going to take so um that's what makes it interesting as well.
1: I would also add, if there's uh, listeners out there that either themselves or happen to know people um, that might be interested in coming on, we're always looking for uh, different voices. Um, I think, you know, uh, a great episode that was uh, Vanessa Michael was because she didn't um, program just in uh, an array language. She also had, uh, you know, I guess Futhark is an array language, and that would definitely, I think, be considered an lang. Um, or definitely like a less well-known language, but she also uh, day-to-day was programming in Haskell. So if you're out there and you're doing some side projects or have some story to tell with array languages, but aren't necessarily, you know, a full-blown, um, you know, array language developer, uh, or you know someone like that that has a different perspective or something, we're definitely looking for different stories and different perspectives um, about, about these languages. And um, I think definitely... You know, so far our guest list has been people that are, have been, you know, storied careers over the decades, um, which are, is an amazing, you know, conversation and story to be told. But, uh, I think, you know, in the future we have this ESO lane conf, uh, that just got set up and they are a bunch of high school students. I think it would be awesome to bring on, you know, a couple of the high school students, you know, one of them is I think specifically designated as the APL lead. If they were interested in coming on even, you know, one or two of them, um, I think it would be interesting to have conversations with you know, younger folks that are you know, still learning or still in school. Um, so if, if you happen to know uh, of people like that or you are a listener yourself in that situation, um, feel free to you know, send us an email at, and I'll throw it to Bob because I always
0: mess up the email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is it? Contact at dot I think. I should check that. Haven't haven't said it often enough and uh, but I believe it's contacted arraycast dot com and uh, that will be a way and we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> we're going to keep driving people back to the show notes. The first link in our show notes will be a recursive link to the show
1: notes for this episode, so you can just keep clicking that over and over again.
3: We we, we also put uh, we'll also put the URL to our website in the show notes.
0: We can well, yes, you mentioned it earlier. That will be in the that will be in the show notes. That will be a meta show note.
3: <laughs> of course. I I would like to actually to hear some um young at least of heart person come in and speak about the other side, right? We very much see it from the side of the people who already know array Programming and are trying to get the message out there and are trying to create all these materials and all these avenues to get into it. But what does that landscape look like from the other side of somebody who has no idea about these things and stumbles on it or whatever way they, they uh, get into it? Like for example at times the the a p l orchard chat room uh is very active and i my feeling is that people sometimes like even chat isn't even really very well known the whole feature on on stack exchange um and and people might go and browse the look of uh, the the list of active chat rooms and then sometimes they might see this chat room is really really busy right now, and then they drop in. And I see this new profile picture and, and name and I'll quickly go, Hello there, so and so, you know, interested in APL? And they go, like, what's APL? <laughs> and then I say, Well, you know, let's go. And some of them become APLers after this, right? Um, so what does that look like? What is that experience? And and that might also identify some of our weak points.
1: What is it that we should focus more on? Yeah, while you were saying that, I was thinking, I'm not I'm not sure if we would ever really pull the trigger on this, but um it would be interesting to bring on some, like, uh, people that aren't big fans that, you know, programmed in it for a few years. I actually do know someone that um, attends m- one of my meetups regularly and that has coded an APL for a number of years but just never really was a big fan. Um, and that's the thing is there's a number of podcasts that I listen to. I'll, I'll throw this one out there because they're never going to listen to this. It's called the Strength Running Podcast. Um, and they're always – every single guest they ever bring on, they're always talking about – so, you know, uh, you know what do you think about strength? Is that important? And they're always like, regardless of what the person is saying, they're always going to bring up strength training and how that's the most important. And I'm like, we get it. We get it. It's the strength running podcast. The only way you can be a good runner is to do strength training in the gym. Uh, there's no al- alternative, um, option. I think there was one guest that actually said, Oh, you know, you take it or leave it. And then he was like, well, well, I'd have to disagree. And I was like, well, I wonder why that is. Um, that, <laughs> so it could be interesting to bring on some folks that, uh, you know, I wouldn't want it to be combative, but just you know, shared their experience and why you know they they came to the language and and never really uh, developed a a fondness for it. Um, and and I think that could you know, like Adam just said, lead to you know, if it turns out that the the lack of fondness is because it's just a hard language to learn, they didn't know where to go to learning resources or whatever. And um, I think you know that story is changing with the APL wiki and the the work that's being done on the J software website. I mean, th- that kind of yeah. feedback is really great, right? There, there are huge things
3: that have come out directly from negative feedback like that. I know TryAPL was set up because somebody who was participating in the, in the dialogue uh, APL problem-solving competition said like, there's a trythislanguage.org and trythatlanguage.org. Why is there no tryAPL.org? And then they made it. And um, APL Wiki was definitely born of the frustration of, People can't find information about APL and array programming. And they can find reference documentation, but that's not the same thing. And same thing with Apple Card was set up because people have all these how to questions. Um, and they couldn't, there was no where to go with that. So we want the feedback, right? We want this say this is what we're missing. This is what was really difficult. This is where I got stuck again and again.
1: It seems like the folks in the array language community are so in love with their language is that if you complain about something uh, that is fixable (laughs) it will be fixed very quickly (laughs) uh, or created very quickly which is that's why we do
3: we're happy doing array programming right
0: (laughs) 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 and with that (laughs) we'll say happy Happy array programming programming. (laughs)